Good morning, Redemption City Church. My name is Mark. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm a member here at the church. Can we all just show a little bit of love for Sebastian and Meredith and the band? I I love when they lead worship. Uh, I love when anyone leads worship, but uh, it's actually kind of hard to preach after that because I have lots of tears in my eyes and I feel like I'm already in the kingdom and we should just have communion and go home. Um, But I'm going to give it my best shot. Uh, Some of you know that in a past life, I used to live in the city of Chicago before I moved here to Grand Rapids. And when I lived in Chicago, we had on our front patio a little rectangular patch of dirt. When we moved in, actually, the previous owners, they had planted some kind of little piney Christmas tree there. But when we arrived, that had pretty much died. And so we ripped that out. And there was just this patch of dirt that sat there. And we were pretty content to just let it sit there because my wife and I were not of the gardening persuasion. We don't have green thumbs. We have like brown, crusty, dried up dead thumbs. Um, In fact, true story, a member in our church once donated a cactus plant to help spruce up the church office. And she said, Pastor Mark, don't worry. I know you're worried. You're going to have to take care of this. But this is a succulent. They're impossible to kill. Three months later, she was coming in to meet with me, meet with her pastor, you know, just to talk through life. And I had this panicked thought five minutes before she arrived. The cactus, you know. And I went back to check on this poor, lonely plant back in the break room where I had positioned it and not thought of it since. And it looked okay from a distance, but I reached down to touch one of the spiky leaves and it just fell over. The whole thing just fell over. There were no roots whatsoever. It had completely dried up and died. Suffice to say, not a lot of gardening talent in the Bergen household. So we were content to let this little patch of dirt lie bare. But there was a problem. My mom is a professional landscape designer. (laughs) And so every time she would come to visit, she would see this little patch of dirt And the music would begin to play, and a single tear would roll down her cheek. And on one trip, one time that she was visiting from uh, in Seattle, where she lives, she came up with the idea, what if we planted a little dwarf peach tree in this little patch of dirt? And my wife and I thought about it, and we thought, you know what, that sounds pretty good. We like to sit out on the patio and have date night on Sunday night. It might be nice to look at some lovely green foliage rather than just a brown patch of dirt. Trees, they don't really take that much maintenance anyway. And I happen to know from my vast culinary knowledge that peaches are a key ingredient in peach cobbler. So we agreed. My mom went out to the nursery, and she bought a pre-potted Little dwarf peach tree. This is as easy as it gets, right? It's already planted. It already has a root ball. We just have to put it in the ground. And she said, you know, just wait for the Chicago spring to come. Wait for the ground to thaw. Well, mid-March, of course, I went out and took my shovel and tried to start digging a hole. And the ground might as well have been granite in Chicago. So I waited another week and still could only get about two inches in. Finally, by early April, it was time to plant. And so I dug a hole, I put the tree in, and just like my mom said, she said, cover it with really good, rich soil. I had a helper with me, as you can see, a little precious helper, Micah. He's now 12 years old, still precious, but in a totally different, more awkward way. 
And there we had it, a tree planted in good, rich, beautiful soil. Okay? Our text today is about this. Our text today is about things being planted in soil. Eyes here. I know he's cute. Eyes here. Flip it. Flip the slide, Jesse. <clears throat> Actually, our text isn't really about soil. It's a parable that uses soil to explain something else. All right, that's what a parable is. A parable is when you take something that people know about and you lay it alongside something that people don't know about so that you can begin to map comparisons from what people know onto what people don't know. Jesus loved to teach in parables. In fact, we're going through the Gospel of Mark, as you know if you've been here, and just in the first three chapters alone, Jesus has already given us seven parables. You might not have known that, because traditionally people think of parables as the stories that Jesus told. But to this point, he's already given us seven parables. When he uses verbiage like putting new wine in old wineskins, or only, a sick, only the sick need a doctor, or I will make you fishers of men. In each one of these instances, Jesus is using parable teaching device in order to show people something about the kingdom of God that they otherwise wouldn't be able to see. So in our text for today, he is simply elevating this parable device to a new level. He's going to build a whole story out of a parable. Okay? Now, what's interesting here is that you'll see a progression throughout the ministry of Jesus in the parables. He starts with these simple phrases, this simple verbiage, fishers of men, new wine and old wineskins, etc. Then he begins to tell stories with parables. The scriptures tell us that Jesus, who was fully human, grew in wisdom and stature. It's easy for us to acknowledge he was once a baby, he grew up, he got taller. But the scriptures say he also grew in wisdom. That is to say, as a human person... Jesus grew in his understanding, in his ability to communicate, in his ability to articulate, in his ability to understand. And so we should actually expect to see that same kind of progression in his ministry. And in fact, we do. The early parables of Jesus, they're okay. As he gets better at it, they get better. Just like any human person. One of my favorite Bible commentators, the author Robert Capon, he compares it to a great artist creating their early works. They're great in their own right, but really they're stepping stones towards something even greater. And so as we look at this early work of Jesus, the parable of the sower, keep that in mind. He's building toward better and greater parables that we'll get to as we go through the gospel according to Mark. But here we have an opportunity to look at the work of a young master, a young parable weaver, the parable of the sower. Now, I am sure that you have heard this parable before. If you've been in church for any stretch of time, or even not, this is one of the most famous parables in all of the scripture. But I want you to put yourself back into first century Palestine as you listen to this parable, as you listen to this story. I don't want the familiarity of it to rob you of its initial contextual impact. So imagine that you're in first century Palestine. Imagine that you've heard through the grapevine that there is this figure, there is this person who's come onto the public scene. 
He's doing miraculous things. He's making startling claims. He's giving hard sayings. You're not fully sure who he is yet. You're not even fully sure who he's claiming to be yet. There's some whispers and rumors that he may be the long-awaited-for Messiah, but he doesn't even get along with the Jewish religious leaders. So how does that make any sense? And you find yourself in this throng of people who are compelled and intrigued by this nobody from the little town of Nazareth, and you show up to hear him teach. And he just launches into this story. No context, no setup, no indication that it's even a parable. He says a sower went out and just started throwing seed everywhere. Not a particularly careful or diligent sower. He just started scattering it all over the place. And some of it landed on a path, hard ground, where it had no opportunity to sink in at all. And so birds came, and they ate it. And other seed landed on rocky ground or gravel. This sower was indiscriminately throwing seed everywhere. It landed on the gravel. And so it took a little bit of root, sprang up quickly, but there wasn't enough soil for it to really root itself in the ground. So as soon as the hot, scorching sun of summer came out, the plant withered away and died. And some of this seed, it says he even threw it into the thorn bushes. This is how indiscriminate the sower was, just chucking seed all over the place. Threw it right into the thorn bushes. Not advisable if you actually mean to grow something. And it did grow. It grew even there until the thorns came up around it and choked it out and it died there too. And then, of course, finally, some of it found its way to the good soil, to the rich soil And it produced grain in that soil, 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold. Jesus just tells this story. And you're sitting there, first century Palestine, you're saying, okay, where is the point? Surely now he's going to give us the moral. Surely now comes the big reveal. Surely now he's going to take us on a journey into something that will transform our lives. And Jesus simply says in verse 9 of chapter 4, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What? What kind of teaching is this? What kind of bizarre teaching methodology is this? Imagine if next week our fearless leader, Pastor Mike Bartlett, stood up here in this pulpit And just started telling a story, say, about a mechanic who worked on four cars. And in the end, only one of the cars ran very well. And he said, if you get it, you get it. And you sat down. (laughs) Some of you would say, you know what? Maybe we'll try that little Presbyterian church down the road. I hear the people there are really, really nice. Or at least you would make an appointment with the pastor. Just to ask him, you all right? Everything good? Yeah, no, you had COVID. You're back? The brain fog gone? Right? You don't want to know, what are you doing, Mike? Why are you teaching this way? And what did that mean? What was that story all about? Well, that's exactly what the disciples do with Jesus. Those who have a relationship with Jesus, they get him alone, and they begin to question him. Now, Mark doesn't tell us exactly what questions they have, but we know what questions they have, 
because the other gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, spell out two questions in particular, and those are the exact two questions that Jesus here answers in Mark's gospel, and they are the exact two questions that all of us would have. Question number one, Jesus, why do you teach in this cryptic way? Question number two, what is this story about the sower all about? So let's take them one at a time. Question number one. Jesus, why do you teach in parables? Answer. Mark chapter four, starting in verse 11. Jesus said to them, speaking to his disciples, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. All right, this is a very strange answer. (laughs) Because Jesus says to his mostly confused disciples, you guys get it. Right? You guys have been given the secret. You guys are on the inside. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of a moment in undergrad when I was sitting in a late antiquity history class. And in this particular class, the professor, she had stopped calling on me almost completely because I tended to know the answer and I would just talk. And so she wanted other students in the class to have to fumble through the work. And so she wasn't calling on me ever again. And then on one particular day, she got very frustrated because no one in the class could give her the answer to what people group had defeated the Greeks in the 4th century. And she was looking throughout the class for any bright spot who might raise their hand and answer this. And she locked eyes with me. And I was sitting there just trying to look very confident, trying to communicate with her. Yes, I know. I feel your pain. This class is a bunch of dim wits. And you and I are on the same team. I'm with you in this. And then to my horror, she said, Mark, just tell us the answer. And I had no idea. (laughs) I think I just took some wild guess, the Spartans or something like that. And in that moment, I saw this deep sadness come into her face because she realized that all of this solidarity that we had had was just a figment of her imagination. She was completely alone. And she cried out, the Macedonians, of course, the Macedonians. This is certainly where the disciples were at in this moment. Jesus says, you guys get it. He makes eye contact with them. You guys are on the inside. You guys are my boys. And they're thinking, oh yeah, totally, totally. We completely know what you're talking about. Just don't ask us. Don't ask us to explain it at all. What is Jesus getting at here? Why is he saying to his disciples that you've been given the secret of the kingdom? Well, clearly, the secret of the kingdom cannot be understanding. Right? Because in the very next breath, Jesus says... Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And he's actually going to then spell out the meaning of the entire parable like a sad comedian having to explain his joke, right? This is a tragic moment. So what is the secret of the kingdom then? If it's not understanding. We're going to get in a minute to this explanation of Jesus, but I want to focus in What secret does Jesus have in mind? Well, we get a clue 
in some of the words that Jesus gives us. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Remember that he said, for those outside, everything is in parables, so that seeing they may not perceive, hearing they may not understand, lest they turn and repent and be forgiven. He's quoting there from the prophet Isaiah, from chapter 6 of Isaiah's great book, and he's quoting from the prophet from a time in Israelite history when the people of Israel were particularly hard-hearted toward God. They had their hearts set against God. They refused to listen to God. They refused to let God in. Jesus is saying here that the secret of the kingdom doesn't come through understanding. He's saying, I'm not the kind of rabbi who came here to give you some clever insight, to give you some Gnostic tidbits. I'm not looking for savvy and witty people who will be able to keep up with the intellectual Joneses, as it were. The secret of the kingdom, in fact, is scattered indiscriminately everywhere all over the face of the earth. It's just thrown out freely. The secret of the kingdom is there's no secret And so I speak in parables to expose those people who still want to pretend and insist that there is one. That there is a secret. That there's such a thing as people who get it and people who don't. People on the inside, people who are the haves and the have-nots. That there's a dividing line somewhere. Jesus says, no, no, no. The secret is indiscriminately and freely scattered on every kind of soil. This sower isn't checking soil conditions. And then he begins to explain the parable to the disciples. You know, the first year that we planted that peach tree in Chicago... It gave us exactly zero peaches. None whatsoever. (laughs) A little early, (laughs) Jesse. We're getting there. (laughs) It gave us zero peaches, right? I actually went and I asked the nursery worker who sold us the tree. I said, when do we get peach cobbler? She was confused. I said, the peach tree that you sold us, when is it going to grow peaches? And she said, well, it might be next summer. Or it might be the summer after that if it's able to survive in that little patch of dirt that you have out in front of your house. A lot of the parables that Jesus tells are about farming or gardening of some kind. Because there is a profound mystery in the connection between planting and yield. Between putting a seed in the ground and what that seed eventually Manifests. Even the most experienced farmers will struggle to anticipate, to predict just exactly what their crops are going to yield from year to year because so much depends on things they can't control, things like the weather, the critters, etc. I remember being very concerned for our little peach tree that first winter. Jesse, <laughs> this picture was actually taken on March 23rd. This is Chicago, right? You live in West Michigan. You know this quite well. 
And I thought, this little guy has almost no chance of yielding us peaches this coming summer. But inexplicably, like two months later, this happened. Jesse. (laughs) Ten beautiful, gorgeous, round peaches, plump and juicy. We promptly turned them into peach cobbler and put giant scoops of vanilla ice cream on top and devoured them. Jesus lays the story of the sower alongside the kingdom of God, alongside the secret of the kingdom of God, because the secret of the kingdom of God is like a sown seed, mysteriously bearing fruit. And then he privately begins to explain this to his disciples. He says this in verse 14. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Jesus explains that the seed is the word. The word of God being indiscriminately thrown out. And the birds that eat it off the path, they're like Satan who steals it before it has any opportunity to sink in. It landed on a path. It had no chance to sink in anyway. The birds just come and pluck it right off the top. The ground was too hard. The ground was completely resistant to the word of God. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you right in this moment. Verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Jesus says, the rocky ground is like people in whom the word takes a little bit of root. It springs up quickly, but it can't endure when trouble comes. When life with God gets hard. When life with God requires that you give something up. That you change your mind in such a way that costs you. Maybe it costs you with your friends. Maybe it costs you in the respect that you really want from certain people groups. Maybe you have to lose something. Maybe you have to suffer in some way. The word that goes into rocky ground can't survive those difficult moments, and so those people fall away. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you are right now in the story of your life. Life. Verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Jesus said, The seed that falls among the thorns is like people who get distracted somehow. People who get totally sucked in by the false promises of the American dream. Or just get addicted to comfort or success or fame. And those things choke the word right out of them. Maybe that's you. 
Strange thing is, I can tell you that our tree in Chicago proved to be all these things. It manifested all of these realities over the course of its short little life. In its third summer, it looked like our tree was going to yield a whole ton of peaches. I remember being so excited in that third summer because it was just hanging with green pre-peaches. And then we went on vacation as a family for a couple of weeks. I came back expecting to have a bunch of ripe peaches, and they were all gone. They were all gone. I don't know how it happened, except for there was one piece of evidence. A nice, plump, ripe peach rotting in the front yard next door with one human bite out of it. Happened to be the house where a little six-year-old boy lives. He is the son of our then worship leader at the church where we attended. Satan manifests in strange ways. (laughs) We're actually hanging out with that kid later today at Michigan's Adventure, so we're still friends, but I might bring up the peaches. In the fourth season, our tree um, had the best year ever. A fourth season was unbelievable. The fourth summer, I was sitting outside. My wife and I used to sit on the patio late at night on Sunday nights and just enjoy the summer in Chicago. And I was sitting there. She went inside to get something. And I noticed, I looked, I got on my hands and knees, looked up into this little dwarf peach tree. And I counted, I kid you not, 104 little green balls beginning to form. 104 peaches on that tiny little peach tree. Now we had a bunch of fruit drops, so we didn't get 104, but we got dozens and dozens of peaches that year, all of which were made into cobbler, all of which were eaten with vanilla ice cream. (laughs) The fifth year, a huge storm came, knocked the tree over, derooted it, decleated it, as they say in football. Some of the football coaches are here. And the tree died. We tried to stand it back up. We tried to pretend like, oh, that didn't really happen. But it was, it was dead. I can tell you, and maybe you can too, I relate to that little tree. Because I have had all these experiences in my life, spiritually speaking. I have hardened my heart such that the word of God cannot penetrate into me. I've believed the lies of Satan so that the word just gets stolen right off the top. I don't even give it a second listen. I just go on my merry way, on my hard path. I've gotten electrified by the good news. This happens a lot to me. I get electrified by the good news of God, by what he's done in the world, by what he's doing in my life. And then the daily walk with Jesus gets hard. Hardship for me looks like daily maintenance. That's what hardship for me looks like. And when I have to do daily maintenance, day after day after day, I find that I wither or even fall away. I've let distractions, ambitions, desires choke the word in me. That last one, distractions, ambitions, desires, that's a particular danger, I think, in West Michigan. There's this lure here for the good life. And I have found that to be particularly strong in my own heart just in this past year, getting sucked in almost to visions of a bigger home, a vacation cottage, wealth creation. 
It's easy to win here in West Michigan. They give away houses for like nothing compared to Chicago and Seattle where I lived before. And God in his grace then, sometimes he'll give me these wake-up calls because he'll give me a job. I work in homes. I remodel bathrooms and basements. And he'll give me a job in someone's home where it's filled with wealth. And it might be a wealthy retired couple. And I get a vision into just how empty and boring that life is. What a fool's errand to spend your time chasing after that. Nothing wrong, nothing evil about those things, but they can choke your soul if they get a hold of it. You see what Jesus is doing in this parable? He's telling you a secret if you care to have it. The seed of the kingdom is always landing everywhere. The sower is always sowing and he's not even checking soil conditions. He's just throwing it out on all of us and we're soil. Sometimes we harden our heart like the past. Sometimes we get a bit thorny or rocky. No matter, the sower keeps scattering the seed. He keeps throwing it out If you've choked the word a thousand times, if you've drifted when things got hard, if you've believed lies or even fraternized with the father of them, that's what was. That's what you were doing or what you are doing, but it is not who you are and it is not what you were made for. Do you know what you were made for? When the Father of lights and the Lord of hosts and the Spirit hovering over the deeps conspired together and stretched out their hands into the dirt and said, let us make man in our image, male and female. You are human. From the Latin humus, meaning of the dirt, of the earth, of the soil. You were made for God to plant a garden in. You were made for God to sow the seed of his kingdom within. You were made to be the soil in which the very word of God goes in deep and takes root. Who's the word of God? Who's the living word of God, John tells us? He was in the beginning with God. Part of the divine conspiracy. God said, I will plant my son in patches of dirt so that his humanity will grow up And fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And the glory of my name will resonate in all the world. Because these people will be one with me. They'll bear my image. They'll walk in the way of my precious son. And I will be their father. I will be their God. And they will be my children And the world will sing and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And the overflowing love of God will bubble all around us. 
This is what you were made for. Would you get so caught up in thinking that there is some secret to understand, something to figure out? There is nothing more natural than this, than to see that you are a patch of dirt and God is sowing his seed in you. Always sowing his seed in you, sowing his son in you, that the very life of Christ might spring up. Now from the beginning, God's enemies have made a lot of trouble. Right from the beginning, Genesis. Did God really say? That's a bird swooping in. Let me just take that seed before it has any chance to sink in. Did God really say, what's he stealing? He's stealing the very word of God from the woman. And what happens immediately after that bird steals the word of God, after that serpent lies to the woman and she believes the lies, what happens? Thorns start to grow. All of the man's work starts to be choked by thorns. And pain, not just in childbearing, but in all of life, enters into the world. And new temptations with it. We just want to escape. We just want to be comfortable. We just want to be left alone. And we forfeit the very purpose of our creation. Jesus says, the sower went out to sow seed. The sower went out to plant in us again the seed of our true identity. To grow us up into who we truly are, who we were made to be. You were made to have the word of God, the Lord Jesus himself, the living word planted in the soil of your body. You were made to be one with God. What else does the apostle John mean when he says no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him? Or the Apostle Peter, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. The imperishable seed, the living word of God is Christ in you. And Jesus is saying this is the most natural thing in the world. This is the most natural process in the world, like a sower scattering seed. Only don't resist it. who you truly are. To become whole, to become fully human, to become one with God, all you need is a little patch of dirt. And that's all you have. That's who you are. After our tree in Chicago died, you know what we did? We planted another one. (laughs) because that's what you do. And it took root more than even the first tree. In fact, it's still bearing fruit to this day. Last month, my old neighbor in Chicago sent me a picture. I think he was kind of trying to put the screws to me a little bit. Why'd you leave Chicago, you bum? But he'd made friends with the people that now live in my house, and they were sitting on my front patio eating my peaches. (laughs) Praise be to God. No vanilla ice cream. The fools! But the kingdom of God is like that. It just needs a little dirt for the Father to plant the Son. 
And when you run out of resistance, when you're too worn out to keep fighting it, God's seed will take root in you. He'll make you whole. A fruit-bearing, fully human person. The very kind he had in mind from the beginning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't give up on us. That you made us for a glorious purpose. And we thank you that all of our resistance, all of your enemy's resistance, cannot overcome your work in the world. Lord, I pray for people here who are worn out, who say this Christian life is exhausting. It's a series of life and death of things springing up and then falling away, things being choked. Lord, by your spirit, would you come and minister to that person that they would see, yes, just that. You are wearing away our resistance to you. Lord, wear us out. Wear us out until we are laid bare, until we have nothing left to fight you with. Turn us back into the patches of dirt that you made us to be. Plant your son in us in this church. Grow him up into full fruition. 30, 60, 100 fold. Take us into that place of glory. Give us visions to see it in one another. To be ecstatic over your work in one another. To spur one another on. You are the glorious sower. Sow your son in us, we pray in his name. Amen.